Hi, this is Daniel Crothers of Vivi, premium digital collectibles from the brands you know and love. I'm on the edge of NFT, the podcast that you know, you love, and you'd love to listen to. Stay tuned. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how an eye toward the collectible experience and tapping into existing fandom has helped fuel the success of Vivi and its projects. Hear how sweet the taste of sour can be and why micro candy Coke bottles are a must have in one guest's candy cabinet. And learn how to sell out an 8,000 item NFT collection in a bear market from the team that's actually done it. All this and more on today's episode. And don't forget, we put together a gathering called NFTLA just a few months back that brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the NFT space. Head to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. See you there. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Daniel Crothers, Ecomi and VV co-founder and COO. Dan has founded a variety of successful startups, including a web agency servicing many international clients, such as Hasbro. Dan entered the cryptocurrency space in early 2016, quickly becoming passionate about the cryptocurrency and blockchain revolution and getting deeply involved with the crypto world. He also continues to hold interests in numerous other businesses. Founded in New Zealand in 2018, Vivi was created by collectors and for collectors to bring premium licensed NFT digital collectibles to the mass market. With over 300,000 active users and over 7.5 million NFTs sold, Vivi is the largest mobile-first digital collectibles platform and one of the top-grossing entertainment apps in the Google Play and Apple stores. Daniel, welcome to Edge of NFT. Thanks very much for having me. Great to be here. A pleasure. Yeah, such amazing progress over that time period. Man, there were so many companies coming out of that like 2017, 2018, you know, time period that just kind of disappeared into thin air, right? But then there's this group of companies that, man, just kept building and becoming that much stronger and more impactful over time. Vivi's right there, man. So kudos. You know, as we think about digital collectibles and some of the most impactful brands in the world, y'all have partnered with a lot of them, right? We got Disney, Marvel, Batman, Adventure Time, DC, tons of others, right? Like all the big ones, basically, is really what it comes down to. And it's become one of the biggest names in the NFT space. So what we want to know is, what was the journey like to get there? How did this project come together in the first place? Well, the journey itself, I guess, like, you know, any startup, especially entering in the scent space was extremely difficult. And I'm sure, you know, any other projects that did start in 2017 and still exist today, I'm not sure they all have a very similar story. But, you know, 
back in 2017, both myself and my business partner, David Yu, we really both became very enamored with blockchain. I think we both bought our first Bitcoin around the first time, end of 2016, beginning of 2017. And I even remember thinking back then, like, oh man, $800 for a Bitcoin is so much. But, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, really there were probably three main areas that we identified as uh, possibilities for business opportunities in the blockchain space. One was exchanges, one was mining, and the other was hardware wallets back in the day. The first two, exchanges, mining, huge amount of capital, licenses, et cetera. So actually the first product that we released you know, for crypto and the blockchain space was our hardware wallet called the Secure Wallet, which is a credit card size, credit card thickness, Bluetooth wallet that you can basically carry around did very well. We still sell it to this day. But then, you know, during that time, CryptoKitties came out, which was the first kind of crypto collectible was what it was referred to back in the day. And both uh, my business partner and I are, are big collectors. David is what we internally, we call him a level 9,000 collector. So anyone who's a Dragon Ball fan out there will get the reference. But basically, he's got issues when it comes to collecting. And he also, for the majority of his career, he has had comic and collectible stores, etc. So you know, we sort of had the brainstorm that if we could take all of the products that he sold in store and, you know, all the IP brands, and we could move them into this new digital collectible or NFT space, um, and, you know, back then, nobody even referred to NFTs or even knew what NFTs was. So we called it digital collectibles. If we could move these IPs into this new space, we could potentially have something that would be quite revolutionary, quite disruptive, and most importantly, quite exciting to the user. And really, from there, we kind of set out on a journey of two paths. Number one was really building out the product. You know, we wanted to make sure that we had, we didn't just want to be a marketplace where people could buy and sell, you know, different items and store them in their wallet. We wanted to make sure that we were doing everything we could to replicate the physical world of collecting. That's kind of the world that we came from. And there's a lot of triggers in that physical world that have been around for a very, very long time. So it was very important to us that we build, you know, all of those features into the app. And then the other side of the prong was basically onboarding the licensors. And, you know, this was probably the hardest journey of all of them. You know, we would turn up to the licensors like Warner Brothers or MGM. And, you know, they were sort of like digital what? Digital collectibles. We have no idea. But, you know, David and I are very, very tenacious people. So, you know, we would go back to them like every few months. And, you know, we'd be able to show them more progress in the app. And then when we brought out the AR features, we could show them that. And then they started to sort of really understand what we were doing. And, you know, the cool thing is, is that, you know, part of our pitch was that, you know, you guys don't really have to do anything. We're just going to take whatever 3D assets you have, if you have them, and then we're going to try and sell them for you. So it was almost like there was very low impact to them. They had to do very little work. So, yeah, eventually we managed to get, I think, around 10 of sort of the major brands on board. Then we launched at the end of 2020. And it just, you know, that was right when NFTs were peaking, you know, when my grandma knew what NFTs were, her dog knew what NFTs were. And then it has been like a, just an absolute wild ride from then to now. Yeah, it's quite the story. And yeah, we were messing around at the licensing expo, talking to brands in that mm. similar time frame. It was mm, so mm. interesting. I mean, I think you really nailed it, right? They just didn't have a clue as to what they were dealing with there and really what the potential was. And wow, what well, they do now, right? So now they do. Yes. They're a lot more attentive now. Yes. Yeah. Did I catch that right? That one of the tricks was just to say, we're going to just 
work with your digital items and not mention the NFT side of it or the sort of the crypto or blockchain side of it? Is that kind of one of the tipping points? Yes. I mean, like back in those days, you know, crypto and blockchain was still, I mean, if you were outside of the crypto world, then crypto and blockchain was still a bit of a dirty word. You know, there were, you know, in the news, it was mostly talking about scams or hacks or anything. So we would allude to the fact that these assets were protected in the blockchain. But, you know, our focus was always mass market. So we wanted to work very hard to make sure that that whole kind of crypto side of it was very much behind the scenes. I would say that the biggest selling points to get the license source over the line was really the fact that, you know, we were building a product for collectors. You know, like I mentioned just before, it's not just a marketplace. We really wanted to replicate what is happening in the physical world of collecting and bring that same experience into the digital world. And that really resonated with a lot of our licensors and, and IP holders because, you know, ultimately they want to protect their products. They want to make sure that their fans and their users have an amazing time with their IP. So the fact that we were approaching it from that angle, you know, which is really about, you know, supporting fandoms and those collectors was really a huge part of our sales pitch. But yeah, yeah we didn't mention NFTs because, you know, to be honest, that term wasn't even around at right. that time. And yeah, we would really just sell this as a digital collectible because they knew what a collectible was. And it's mm -hmm. like, hey, this is just a digital version. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then, of course, things turned around <laughs> in terms of how people yes, thought about they, NFTs. They did a 180. But yeah, and you know, I know you. one of the standouts that you guys have are these customizable showrooms for people's collectibles. And I can't help but think as I ask the question, oh, maybe that's also part of the evolution of the product. And you know, what you found was what the you know, licensors and the clientele wanted for that experience. How do you see that part of the experience you know, affecting artists and creators? And you know, how do you see its role as you move forward? So, you know, one of the main reasons we really wanted to build in the virtual showrooms is, again, you know, harking back to that sort of premise of replicating what was in the real world of collecting. And, you know, anybody who's a collector or who knows a collector, there's a room in their house or a shelf in their house where they've got all of their collectible statues, you know, whether it's a cap or a statue or a baseball card, you know, they've got a beautiful shelf where it all looks amazing. Maybe there's some lighting on it. So, you know, that is a huge part of the collector experience for me to be able to take all of my collectibles and set them up in a very aesthetic way. So with the virtual showrooms, that was really the main kind of objective behind that. You know, you manage to buy all these NFTs, which in our case are, are all 3D assets. And then you have a virtual space in which you can, you know, set them up, put them in any kind of order. And, you know, really it's a bit of an expression of your sort of emotional attachment to these collectibles. So, yeah, we have very, very big plans for our showrooms. You know, what people are seeing out there now is really just virtual, uh, sorry, version one. But that part of it, I believe, is going to become significantly bigger in the future. So, yeah, moving into 2023, we've got some really cool stuff around those virtual showrooms, especially in the multi-user side of things, you know, that, you know, I can meet you in there. We both got our avatars. We can talk, we can interact, we can haggle over this you know, I want to buy this collectible off you, so, you know, we can kind of haggle in person. So I really do believe that that is a big part of where we're moving forward because it really gives the user something, you know, solid to do with their collectibles. Like, yes, you can just collect it and put it in your wallet. And that's what some collectors want to do. But there are other users out there who just create literally the most amazing showrooms that I could not have dreamed up. 
Yeah, it's that move into the metaverse, right? I mean, that's really what we're talking exactly. about, right? That presence. And mm-hmm. I always tell people when they ask me about it, right? It's like, well, no, the train's left the station. Like, that's where we're heading. Like, period. Mm-hmm. There's no stopping. But we're right? on the way. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's it. You know, and so some of the products so that you have available are directly applicable to that, right? You have premium 3D models, readable AR comics, artwork, drivable vehicles, like all kinds of really cool stuff. Tell us about some of those and how you're utilizing those right now. Well, I guess, you know, going back to when we were developing the product, again, because we wanted it to replicate, you know, what was happening in the real world, that's why we went down the path of doing 3D. Because, you know, we thought long and hard about whether we were going to do just the 2D images, but there were a few kind of coming out at the time that were 2D. But we really thought, you know, in terms of the future, as you mentioned, you know, like Metaverse has been, you know, a common term for about a year now, but has always been part of our roadmap. And that is one of the main reasons that we went into 3D. So number one, we've got this, you know, utility that's coming in the future, but also the fact that, you know, people who buy statues, you know, that is kind of what they want. You know, they want to be able to rotate this amazing, beautiful statue, see it from all different angles. It was extremely challenging to be, because to create a 2D image over creating a 3D collectible is, you know, a vastly different proposition. But I personally really think that it offers something additional to the user, you know, that they can really enjoy, and especially with sort of the AR features, et cetera. And because it's 3D and because it's digital, that gave us the opportunity to, you know, really what I like to call, you know, collectible plus or a hyper collectible in the sense that, you know, with the DeLorean, for example, you can put that in augmented reality, you can put it into drive mode, and then, you know, you can drive it around. You know, when I was growing up, my dad and I would always play with radio control cars. You know, it was something that I kind of loved growing up. And this is kind of like the virtual version of that radio control car. You know, right now we have to look at it through this small screen, but, you know, really part of our ongoing roadmap and one of the technologies that we always believe is going to become predominant in the future is AR in our real life. And whether that's glasses or whether it's eventually contacts, Ultimately, I personally believe that that is going to replace our phones, replace our laptops, and we are going to live in a mixed reality world. And what do I want people to see in that mixed reality world? BV digital collectibles. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're really excited about AR. And, you know, it's something before I was involved in this podcast so heavily, you know, I was one of those folks was like, okay, VR, AR, XR. Okay, that's all, you know, the same thing. And then you meet that AR person who's like, VR is not AR, right? Like, here's why they're different. Here's what's going on. And one of the things I'm most excited about, like a company like Niantic, you know, the missions behind those companies are actually to get people out into the quote unquote Mm. real world and meet and interact Mm. and kind of get some fresh air or whatever. And I, I love that part of that. How do you see AR tech bridging the gap between, you know, physical and digital collectors, And maybe even, you know, give a little bit of thought about how this all affects people's creativity and the things that come out of it. Mm. Well, I mean, for us, the premise was very simple, which is that, you know, we really wanted these 3D collectibles to be as tangible as possible. And yes, you know, we could look at it on screen and rotate it around. And that was cool. But, you know, with AR tech, which was still quite early, you know, back when we started to implement it, if you can actually have your phone and, you know, like, let's say, you know, you're at a party and you want to be the coolest guy in the room. So, you know, you rock out your VV 3D collectible, like people really are extremely surprised, you know, when it's like, oh, hey, you know, look at my Batman. And then you hand them the phone and they're like, wow, this is so cool. And you can see them, they walk around it. And then it's like, where do I get it? It's like, well, you go to VV. 
So for us, we had two reasons for the AR. Number one is that, again, we wanted to be able to provide that semi-tangible experience, even though this was a digital product that, you know, I could put it on my kitchen bench or, or in my living room and it would exist like it was actually there. And then the second part of really why we implemented the AR is for the virality. You know, we knew that we would have a lot of, you know, videos, photos, we didn't actually quite know how viral it would go. We thought it would have, you know, some virality feature, but it literally took off. And that's really what a lot of people kind of, you know, what introduced people into the app. Like, you know, one of my friends would post a six foot real life looking Batman with him standing next to it. And people would be like, whoa, where did you get that six foot Batman? You know, it looked very, very real. And that's, you know, really, that's kind of the big part of it. And then on the creativity side, you know, the great thing about the digital space is, again, you know, we have really free reign over what we can do in the digital space. So the fact that you can group all of your collectibles together, I mean, some of our fans, they set up amazing scenes, you know, that tell a story of Marvel Mighties fighting, you know, DC characters. So it really lends the tools, I guess, or the tool set to, you know, create these amazing 3D dioramas. And we have a lot of additional features coming in the future, like accessories, for example. So let's just say I, I wanted to create a Marvel Mighty scene. I'll be able to bring in like, you know, maybe a section of New York or, you know, old dustbins or a piece of road or whatever. But the whole idea is that I can really, you know, have very easy access to all of this content. And I have the tools to create this, you know, beautiful 3D environment, which then, of course, is all fully multi-user, everything. So yeah, we really see the AR side of the business as a big pull to bring users into the app. And also it's just super fun as well. Yeah. And we're all waiting for, for that big hardware move, right? To really mm. you know, accelerate everything. I know that's the thing that's going to you know, send us into the stratosphere. Exactly. So, you know, one of the things I know our listeners are interested in is some more of that secret sauce, right? Like, what do you think it really is that has continued to power all of the success? I mean, you guys have sold over seven and a half million NFTs, continue to see success, even with the bear market going on around us. You know, what can you share with us? Like, what are those secret components to, you know, cooking up in the background there to make this thing hmm. continue to hum? I think it really comes down to two things that, that I've sort of touched on already. And that number one, it's about the collector. Right. I mean, it's not about just buying an NFT at the right buy in price so you can cash out later on. It really is about having that collectible experience. And, you know, a lot of the app and a lot of the features we've built around the app have been heavily geared towards what collectors already know and love in the real world. Like we've discussed, you know, the virtual showrooms, having an AR, the ability to, you know, see it in a tangible way. But, you know, a lot of collecting is also about bragging, you know, so that's why it was important for us to have, you know, social feeds within the app. So people can be like, yeah, I got the number 41 or I got, you know, a secret rare. That bragging component is a very big part of the collectible world. So on one side, we've got the, you know, really the collectible experience rather than being just like an NFT marketplace. And then on the other side is brands and IP, you know, like there are millions or tens of millions of people out there who like Batman and hundreds of millions of people out there who love Marvel. And, you know, with these people who are very deep in these fandoms, they have the posters, the movies, the t-shirt, the mug, the physical statue, now the digital statue. So for us, it was just a, you know, another way to really tap into those fandoms. And, you know, we find that a lot of the users that have come into our platform, you know, they originally come in, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to get this and I'm going to buy it for 20 bucks and I'm going to flip it for 500. 
but then they buy it and it's like you know what like i'm actually really attached to this deadpool like i actually don't want to sell it so there's a real heart between collectors and the ips or the fandoms that that they belong in so i think just at a high level like they are the really the two core parts of vv that really bring users in and help them stay and in addition to that you know we're always evolving the platform i mean you know we have amazing stuff planned for 2023 really just to basically take the whole experience even further yeah and we'd love to hear about some of those things i know you've got the vv artwork program that's going on mm. we'd love to hear a little bit of scoop on that and kind of what it offers yeah absolutely so you know i mean vv has always been very different to most other in- nft products in the sense that we are more like a consumable products that you would see in the real world so say for example a batman statue like batman black and white for example they create 5000 of those statues and then they distribute them around the world and vv has always operated off the same premise where it's like low cost but higher edition like so for example you know we might mint 5 10 20000 editions of a particular collectible but you can get it for for $50 and you might have the chance of getting the secret rare or a low mint you know which might affect the value of that but then you know we really also ultimately we want to have a very wide range of offering you know to suit each different type of collector so because you know through our ip relationships like with marvel for example we also have a big relationship with a lot of artists out there in the world we really wanted to create something a bit more special and that's where we brought in the artworks or the singles you know the one of one so unlike what we do what we have done previously with sort of the ip where there's thousands of them we wanted to bring out another product that was just one of one and because i think this is in the collectible and in the nft world if you have that one of one or you have that original you know that is something that you know holds something special and maybe worth more but you know the whole idea around it is that you are the only person who owns it so that was the real impetus behind bringing in the one of one artworks and so far it's done really well you know and it's also a way for us to be able to give back to the artist community because the just to digress slightly you know like back in the day if you let's say for example you were an artist for marvel you would be actually painting that you know on a canvas you would then sell that to marvel but as the artist you had the right to sell that one original piece for whatever 5 10000 but then as the you know everything transitioned to digital artists were no longer able to do that so they were kind of you know missing out on you know that ability to capitalize on their artwork so the one of ones has really allowed artists to get back into that space of selling their sort of quote unquote original artwork and sort of support themselves moving into the future Yeah man I tell you you know in talking to you it really as a collector from the time I was a kid of you know of all kinds of things from baseball cards to you know Star Wars figurines or you name it for me the art of collecting and the ability to know definitively what number I have of a particular collection and and how blockchain has really made all that possible and how NFTs like kind of helped us make that transition that's enough for me in so many places I don't need mm. a lot of extra utility when it comes to just the pure kind of collector spirit inside of me and it's interesting because there's been a ton of focus and we talk about it a lot on well, what else what other utility is there besides you know just the image or the thing i'm like mm. well as a pure collector for me in many cases it's it, who did it come from what's the ip behind it you know the brand behind it what how rare is it like these are enough for me like period and i'm pumped about it and having a place to show it off even just for myself to look mm. at it and observe mm. it 
creates a tremendous amount of utility inside of me, you know? So mm. I, I think in the discussion of utility, we kind of forget just how powerful that can be, that mm. collector kind of mentality can be and how it can touch you, you know? So, yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, like, I think there's such a strong focus and impetus on utility now, but yeah, I'm in a complete agreement with you, you know, like you don't buy a beautiful piece of artwork because it gives you a free something or rather you buy it because you appreciate it. You love the brand. Yeah. However, you know, the cool thing with NFTs and with, you know, digital collectibles is that we can build in utility mm -hmm. and yeah. the, the exciting thing on our side is a lot of the licensors that we work with, especially going into 2023, they want to build a lot of utility into it. And, you know, special utility as well, like utility that might be just one of one experience or whatever. So, right. yeah, I completely agree with you, but I think the market right now, especially the crypto market, wants to see that utility. Yeah, no, it adds tremendous value, especially if it's something you're super passionate about, mm. you know, but that core experience, it really starts there. And it's just evident how such attention to detail around that experience has helped propel you guys. One of the other things that stands out, of course, is also that you guys built this thing mobile first. And that's something that also seems to help with accessibility and uptake. What's your view on that aspect of your path? Mm. So we went mobile first for a couple of reasons. Number one is that, you know, we could launch it on app stores and really get a sort of a built-in audience right away. Number two is that it offered very, very easy payment rails that everybody knows about. You know, you don't have to connect to your wallet. You don't have to convert your crypto. You basically, it's just like one click ordering within the app. And like I mentioned earlier, a very, very big impetus for us was to make sure that this was product was accessible to everyone, even though it was NFT based. And then number three was the fact that, you know, we were wanted to capitalize heavily on AR. And, you know, by that point, you know, even going back sort of four years ago, the last five generations of phone could do, you know, pretty good AR. And the other thing is that, you know, when you come from the collectible world, like, for example, you know, I see you've got a couple of hats behind you there and, you know, you mentioned Star Wars. If you want a very specific Star Wars product that, you know, comes from the Star Wars history, the canon, you have to go and hunt for it and you have to know where to go. You got to know who to talk to. You got to look up the different prices. So, you know, one of the other things about being mobile is that your collection and the entire library of VV is basically there available for you in your hand at any time. And one of the, you know, very, very common themes that we get from our fans is that they say, you know, I never knew I was a collector. And then until I downloaded VV and I started buying a few things and I realized that, oh my gosh, I actually love this. And then of course they become obsessed with buying VV collectibles, but then they go and buy the physical statue of the VV collectible that they have. So for me, that's such a cool thing because collecting is so much fun. You know, when you can build up, you get that whole set of Batman Black and White Season 1 or Season 2 or your favorite Marvel Mighties characters. And, you know, it brings a lot of joy. And sometimes, you know, maybe not so much joy if you miss the drop, that character you really wanted. So, you know, to have it, have collecting so accessible through your mobile device was a really big part of what we wanted to do. Obviously, now we've expanded out to the web platform and then obviously Metaverse coming into next year. Yeah. I'm here, in, I'm beaming in from Peru today and I've been here for a little bit. I'll be back in like a week. And one of the beautiful things about being here is encountering all of the cultural artifacts, you know, that, that are handmade and things mm. like that, right? And it's interesting that idea of, oh, am I a collector or am I not a collector, right? I was never like a, I had a few baseball cards or things back in the day. 
but I do have that kind of those objects that are, it's just beautiful. I just mm. want it to, you know, say that I'm connected with it, to have that spirit of that, whatever it is, culture, essence, and have it be a part of, you know, what's around me in my life. So that's really interesting, that idea of discovering you're a collector. Mm. You know, beyond the collectible side of it, and maybe this is a part of what people get excited about, is community, right? NFT, the NFT ecosystem is sort of known for having a strong community. There may be some like uh, dissolution of it, I guess, at the bear market and things like that. But can you talk a little bit about your feeling about the strength of like the NFT community in general, the, the strength of the VV community? What are your thoughts on that? Mm, absolutely. I mean, community is such an important aspect of in my opinion, of just collecting in general. You know, like if you have a Bitcoin, there's not really much to talk about other than, hey, you know, what was your buy price? What was your sell price? But, you know, with NFTs, you know, regardless of whether it's IP or whether it's independent artist or famous artist, it creates so much discussion around it. Like, you know, I love this artist, you know, I love the piece of work that he's done, how they interpreted this or that. Or even on the other side, you know, the fact that it's like extremely low run, you know, maybe it's a one of one or a one of 10. And I think the other thing that's sort of inherent in the NFT community is that if you own an NFT of, you know, let's say you own a hundred Batmans, like in a way it's kind of in your best interest to promote that. And, you know, because, you know, like if you want to get more exposure for it or you want to get a higher price, you know, you want to say, whoa, this thing is so cool. So I think there's a lot of different aspects to it, you know, and people identify with specific brands. Like it's what David and I and the company call the second secret, which is where that you know, if you walk up to someone and, and, you know, you don't know them, but then you find out that they're an epic Batman fan and you find out you're an epic Batman, or what you obviously know you're an epic Batman fan, you know, you have that common interest, but it's not like, you know, you're out at a club and you can walk up and you're like, Hey, I like Batman, you know, cause that's probably not going to get you too far. But when people find that common interest of whether it's artist or IP, it really promotes a lot of conversation. And we have been extremely blessed with the VV community. You know, it wasn't really anything that we expected. You know, obviously we thought we would have followers on social and that kind of thing. But, you know, I really attribute a lot of the success of Vivi to the early community who came in, started doing the videos, the live drop videos, just everything about it. Yeah, we feel very, very lucky and also just very happy that we managed to sort of strike that chord in the heart of the collectors. By the way, yeah, Jeff and I both have small children, maybe around ages four and five. Walking up to someone else and saying, I like Batman can be, you know, quite a powerful way to connect really quickly. So it does work. Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> as, as long as, as they like Batman. <laughs> yeah. But, well, you, y'all have really accomplished a ton and we've talked about a ton, but there's some more stuff here coming up on the roadmap and wanted to hear a little bit about what's next up to bat. Mm. There's some things I can say and there's some things I can't say. Of course. Obviously, you know, for us, you know, when we started the company, we were, you know, far more mass market in the sense that the way of onboarding, you know, you can just buy with fiat, with credit card very, very easily because we wanted to tap into that mass market. But really now that the, you know, crypto has come so far in the last five years and it has really penetrated into the mass market, so many people know about it now. So one of the, you know, major features that we have in play at the moment is really the ability to bring crypto in and bring crypto out. You know, we feel that this is going to bring you know, more liquidity into the platform, but it's also going to open up, you know, exactly open the the product up more to that crypto market, especially now that we're doing things like one of ones, where some of these things get pretty high value, even in a bear market. 
In terms of other features we have coming up, obviously we've got sort of the metaverse side of things, which I'm really excited about. That's really going to see the existing showrooms transformed into something, you know, a thousand times better in terms of features, functionality, customization, its aesthetic appeal, all of that side of things. And then we've got, there's obviously a whole lot of stuff that goes on in the background that, you know, people don't know about, like the security side of the product, the onboarding, you know, because the other unfortunate thing with the NFT space is that it can be rife with scams. And, you know, for us and also for our users and also the IP that we work with, ensuring that we have that security in there is extremely important. And that's why we brought in KYC, even though it was, it made it more difficult to onboard people. We really want to make sure that we're sort of a very trusted platform in the space. I'm just trying to think we've got so many things in play. What else have we got coming up? I guess really the sort of the global thing is that, you know, we have all of the moving pieces in place at the moment for the VD app. But the next step is really to improve everything we can about the product. Like right now, the market is very rudimentary in terms of finding what you want. So we're going to have, you know, massive personalization where, you know, if you're collection is mostly Disney or it's mostly Star Wars, then you know, you're going to start seeing that kind of content. And that may seem like you know, fairly simple, but you know, it takes quite a lot of technology in the background to make sure that we're delivering the product that you exactly want to see. Then there's the utility side of things. You know, I've discussed the interactive DeLorean. You know, there's going to be a massive amount of sort of interactive content. And really moving into 2023, like I think people are going to see the quality of our collectibles really step up massively in terms of like the detail, the quality, you know, even if it was like, let's say it was Jurassic Park, you know, it might be on a base and there could be flowing water and, and you know, little shrubs blowing in the wind. It's really about taking that to the next level. Mm. Exciting future for sure. And it's right around the corner, right? The, mm. the pace getting very of- close now. <laughs> yeah, the pace of advancement here is is amazing. It's, and a lot of people are heads down building, right? As you guys are yeah. right now in a really mm. good way. So yeah, excited about that. And I'm just so happy that we were able to hear some of the origin story here and the thought process that went in, you know, to the evolution of VV and everything you're working on and all the things to come. So thank you for sharing that. We appreciate it. Mm, no worries. Thank you. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you. Yes, you, Randy. 
launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. So we like to transition to our next segment, and this is a section we like to call Edge Quick Hitters. It's 10 questions that we ask every single guest of our podcast. It's intended to learn a little bit more about you personally and some of your perspectives on these things. It's intended to be you know, short, single word or few word responses, but we may dive a little bit deeper here or there. Dan, you ready to jump in on these? Let's do it. Okay. Question number one, what's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? I've always been a big fan of candy. And so I remember, yeah, being younger, I think I was a little bit naughty. I remember like stealing some coins out of my mom's purse and like, you know, running down to the convenience store down the road and getting a bag of lollies. That was always my kind of thing to do. Nice. Is that the, do you have some candy within reach? We have a candy cupboard in the house, <laughs> yes, which I'm only allowed to take two things out of a day. <laughs> nice. <little laughs> That's pretty crack. liberal, depending on the candy. Pretty liberal. Yeah. I mean, my wife's like pretty generous <laughs> with me, I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Question number two, what's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Oh, that's a tough one, actually. First thing I ever remember selling, I can't actually remember specifically, but you know, like I mentioned earlier, I used to be very heavily into radio control cars. And I remember I was always buying a lot of new ones. So I'd probably say it would have been something around, yeah, maybe selling one of my old cars to one of my mates. Nice. Question number three, what's the most recent thing you purchased? In fact, it was actually uh, this coffee right here. Hey, all right. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of something more substantial, um, no. yeah, we recently got back from Decon UK and I bought a lot of yeah. really collectibles and artworks over there. Amazing. And by the way, on the remote control thing, I just have to know because my son was floating around Amazon earlier today, this morning, actually, and convinced my wife to buy a little remote control alligator head. It looks like a real alligator. And oh, so seen you, <laughs> this thing looks like it's rolling up on you. In the wow, pool this... or in the ocean or something. He's only four. I don't know what he's got in mind. But my wow. head immediately went to having a little fun with people at the beach. But I don't know. Oh, I yes. might scare the death out of him. <laughs> All right. Question number four. What is the most recent thing you sold? The most recent thing I sold would have been one of my NFTs in the VV marketplace. Nice. And it makes a lot of sense. Yes, yep. absolutely. It's very, very accessible. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, I've got too many of them. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll flick one off. Right on. Question number five. What's your most prized possession? Oh, that is a tough one. You know, a lot of people ask, you know, what my favorite collectible is, either digital or real. And I probably have to say, right, generally my most favorite thing is, you know, whatever the last kind of collectible that I brought of value. And I, I was extremely lucky to get a like a one of one hand painted Louis Vuitton trunk painted by uh, Virgil Abloh, who was, you know, the main designer for Louis Vuitton. I mean, normally these things are extremely rare, like one of ones, very, very hard to get. But somehow, even living down here in New Zealand, this literally just dropped into my lap. So yeah, anyone that comes into my house, I say, you can look around, but you have to stay three meters or what is that? Nine feet away from this particular thing. <laughs> nice. That's a solid one. Love it. Okay. Question number six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service, or an experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? 
It would probably have to be an experience, and I do love to party. So I would probably say some kind of worldwide party tour on a private jet with all my friends, you know, with an IV nurse on the plane. Yeah, that's, you know, when I'm not working my butt off, I generally like to relax and party. So it would be something along those lines, flying to Mexico, Ibiza, Cyprus, anywhere in the tropical ring. I should have been born in the tropical belt. That's where I should exist. Right on. Yeah, I love that. That's so my great. question is, does that already exactly exist? Yep. Have you seen it? That type of thing? Okay. Yep, there are. Yep, you can buy. There's basically like worldwide party tours where they'll take you from like, you know, place to place and you can either get your fly by commercial or, you know, the next level is, you know, you nice. can get the private jet. Yeah, so I'll give you guys a buzz when it happens. Oh, let us know. Yeah, is Burning <laughs> Man on that list? Have you been out there? I think it's more tropical kind of island. tropical, yeah. Sort of thing, yeah. yeah. Firefest type stuff, right? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. Okay, cool. Next question. Question seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I would probably say tenacity because, you know, like in life, especially when you're doing something new and in the same industry like this, you're literally... You're going to get knocked down a hundred times, you know, for every one, one step forward. So I think you have to have built in you the ability and comfort to fail over and over, but still keep that dream in mind. I would say that's probably one of my strongest abilities. Yeah. So important and full display, I think probably coming out of that 2017, 18, you know, time Mm, period, right? Exactly. (laughs) All right. Next question is question eight. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Oh, I'd probably say my obsession with candy. You know, it's not, <laughs> I've had big dentist bills over my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I guess, you know, I mean, it's kind of, as I get older in life, it's not so much of an issue, but, you know, like everybody suffers from self-doubt. And, you know, really, I think that is, it really is just you stopping yourself. You know, anyone is capable of doing anything, especially if you have the tenacity and the drive. So, yeah, I would say self-doubt would be, you know, something that I would have liked to eliminate throughout my whole life. But, you know, it got me kind of where I am today, so I can't discount it completely. But, you know, I know a lot of people and friends that suffer from it. Mm. Yeah, you don't want it to stop you from chasing those dreams. And mm. it's that tenacity, I guess, to get you through it, right? Exactly. Question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I woke up and I had a shower because it's early morning here in New Zealand. <laughs> in New Zealand, there it is. And last official question, question 10, what are you going to do next after the podcast? I'm going to dive into a day long of extremely exciting meetings. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sounds interesting. Hey, Ethan, word on the street is we may have a bonus question. You got something yes. out there you'd like to share? A little bit of a thought experiment. So okay. you know that magic pill, maybe you do or don't, is a magic pill that when you take it, it turns everything that's sour into sweet. Have you guys ever tried that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Daniel, if there was a pill that you took and it turned all of your sweets totally flavorless, so didn't have any flavor, but you could only keep the flavor of one, what would that be? Oh, man, you guys are coming out with a really hard question. You know, <laughs> I'm a piss with candy. So this is like really tough for me. Oh, and it's also a little bit ironic because my favorite candies are the sour candies. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But I guess, yeah, if I had to have one, oh, one flavor. So are we talking like, you know, flavor of food or like various These are candies. candy? No, they can't. Okay, yeah, it'd have to be a candy that this candy, yeah. when you ate it, you could still taste it. All the others. Right. Nah. All right. In that case, yeah, I think I've always probably been most obsessed with, you know, the little Coca-Cola 
candies, you know, the little Coca-Cola bottles <laughs> that you can <laughs> buy. Yeah. So I'm going to go with that because that's always my go-to. <laughs> I love that. Wow. And I love the thought you put into it. You can tell <laughs> that you really care. Like that took a while. Like, mm. Yeah. Nice. Very Thank you. Thank you for that too. Yeah. Appreciate that's it. amazing. So that's Edge Cricketers. We really appreciate it. Lots of fun. Thanks for sharing with us, Ethan. Word is we have a very special hot topic to talk about today. So yes, let me turn it over to you. Sir. That's true. Yes. Today's sponsor's Spotlight Hot Topic is also about the Shell's Orb NFT project, which just this past month successfully sold out 8,000 NFTs in pre-min in two hours at 0.89 each. Bear market be damned. And there is another 1,000 more to come. We are fortunate to have the founder and creator, Jameson Hill, here today to talk about the collection, its history, and where things go from here. Jameson, welcome to Edge of NFT. And I feel like you have an answer to that question, what candy flavor you'd keep if you could. Do you have that? Did you think that through? You know, I was always a fan of the sour things. So like anything sour. So I remember like if you had sour Skittles, there was this white powder that came on them that was the sour piece of the powder. And... <laughs> so I would say like anything sour. Right. Um, and I think it's also translated into later in life too, liking these sort of sour types of tastes. Nice, nice. All right, talk, talking my language with the sour lollies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can you give us a little bit of background here on your story and how you find a way to uh, just blockchain and NFTs in general? Yeah, so I met up with a guy named Robert Menendez in like 2015. He started a company called Vest and they were just sort of, trying to build stuff in the blockchain and really like back then it was like sort of figuring it out. Fast forward to, you know, the start of the pandemic, Clubhouse. I was hanging out on Clubhouse in Bitcoin rooms, teaching people how not to get rugged, how, you know, what a hardware wallet was, et cetera. And right around that same time, a buddy of mine started talking about the Beeple drop. And so we started like, you know, co-mingling these two blockchain types of things. Fast forward a couple months later, I started working for this company called Milos, which is a company founded by one of Binance's lead investors doing music NFTs. And I sort of helped them bring some artists and produced some of their first music NFT drops for Trey Songs and also David Bowie, which is pretty cool at the beginning of last year, or at the, I'm sorry, the tail end of last year. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, man. So yeah, all, uh, you know, kind of quick happenings here as the NFT spaces evolve so quickly as well. Right. And man, you guys have really brought something interesting with Shell's orb. So you know, please like tell us a little bit about it, man. What's the story there? Yeah. So essentially like about a year ago, we started to create this idea to do a PFP project. Originally it was to sort of raise money to do a film. And then we broke away from that and just decided like, Hey, we're going to create this digital art NFT company around. And so we had a bunch of ideas and we were sort of like building our community and then in, around January, we acquired an artist called Voyager who was on Magic the Gathering, League of Legends, and he was Adobe 25 under 25. He submitted a piece of concept art to us and we started like sort of sending it around to like our, you know, our friend group and in, in groups and Discord and whatnot. And everybody was like, yo, that shit's fucking dope. Like that is dope. And so essentially we took this art and then we we're like, okay, we're going to build an NFT out of it. And then it was like, oh, wait, how long is this going to take to make? And we were like, oh, it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time. Each one of our pieces of art takes about 20 hours to draw. So if you can imagine one character has 10 layers per attribute, you know, that could be a month long process to sort of come up and concept that artist. So we quickly built up an artist roster. And at the end of it, we had about eight artists, including, you know, like 
part-time people, animators, assistant colorists, and whatnot, and sort of built out a studio. And we ended up becoming the highest quality hand-drawn generative art project to ever hit the Ethereum blockchain or any blockchain that I know of. We're about 280 gigabytes on IPFS, 3,500 by 3,500 PNGs at zero compression. And yeah, we sort of came at this thing, you know, obviously we built all through the bull market and then we rode the bull market all the way down. And, you know, we ended up selling out in the middle of August, like in the, you know, just this like crazy bear market where five other projects that day failed to mint out. And we ended up, you know, selling out in just under two hours with, you know, crazy velocity towards the end of our mint, like, yeah. you know, a hundred transactions per block or something like that, right when we sold out. Right. And yeah, so you know, we sort of ended up here as somewhat of a unicorn. A lot of people are kind of saying in the NFT space, which is a very interesting position for us to be in. Yeah. Can you expound upon that? I mean, you know, can people take out their notebooks? Like, how did you end up selling that out? And you had a pretty recently formed team and all of this stuff in a bull market. What do you think were some of the secrets to this sauce? Yeah. So selling out a project in the bear market, for one, we focused on being best in class. So we had a product that was undeniably like number one, the best, like there's like, we just went overboard, you know, six months, eight artists, like nobody else really does that. That's doing hand-drawn and it's very hard to find these types of artists. You know, a lot of people can do 3d now, but nobody does hand-drawn. So from the very beginning we had, and every one of our, like, you know, our, our sort of, uh, our community members, they knew that what we were going to put was going to be the best thing possible. And so they were always waiting. They were patient. You know, we've been building, you know, the main community since for about six months before we launched. And nobody was like, when mint? Everybody's like, yo, chill out, guys. Y'all mint when you mint. We know it's going to be dope. We love the art. And so for the one thing was like building a community of four people that actually loved what you were doing. The other thing was, you know, we didn't have a pedigree. So, you know, there was no board apes on our team. There was no doodles on our team. We didn't have, you know, any real fancy advisors or anything. You know, I lived in New York City. So we had a couple of guys that maybe like worked on Wall Street, you know, giving us sort of like business advice, but nobody that was really like super duper Web3 heavy or had crazy NFT launches backing us. But what we did was we had passion and we activated people that became really passionate in the project. And we attracted team members that were incredibly involved in building and wanted to build something big. And with these team members, we were able to do about 200 collaborations in, or 250 collaborations in, in those six months that we built, with the bulk of that being in the last, like, about two months, I would say. And if I, if I could just say, you know, like, working with artists, you know, like, commend and applaud you, because it is, you know, quite a journey to work with them and to produce, like, top quality stuff is, yeah, it's just such a good way to do it in this NFT space. Yeah, no, it's been a really wonderful journey getting to, you know, employ these people and I got lucky. Voyager, our lead artist, he sort of manages the team and he's kind of mm. like the head guy. And, you know, also, you know, one of the things about building art is art has to be kind of consistent and all artists have different styles. So he was the one that kind of normalized that and taught mm. his style to everybody else. So at the end of the day, nobody really knows that there was eight artists working on this project unless you sort of went and you read it because it all looks very similar. But yeah, it's definitely, I got lucky in preparation for building this thing. I watched a keynote with Sid Meyers and he talked about working with artists. And he said, the way that we work with artists or the way that I've learned is best is you put them in a very big box and then you let them go. 
And then when they come back, they deliver something that you didn't even imagine was possible. So that's sort of the philosophy mm. that we went with. Yeah, I love right that. Mm. Yeah. Man, and so, and so many of the things we've been talking to Dan throughout the episode around community and tenacity and just that core you know, value in the art itself and why that's valuable to collectors, right? The authenticity that goes into it, man. So cool. But also like distribution is important and, you know, have this partnership with Binance NFT, right? Also, and would love to hear about that. Yeah. So the company Milos that I worked with, they were, you know, in collaboration with Binance and, you know, they launched on the BNB chain. So at Consensus this year, I got introduced to the Binance NFT team and they told me about a new product that they were launching. Right now they have a centralized exchange, which means, you know, you can trade Ethereum NFTs, but you basically send your NFT into their contract and then they can be you know, sort of trained, you know, traded off the books or, you know, in a centralized manner. But they told me about this decentralized exchange that they were sort of building, which is going to be something of the likes of OpenSea. And so I came up with this idea. I'm like, well, if you're launching this, this is going to be big. This is going to, you know, really open up the Eastern market. Our is Eastern focused. If we could be the first NFT project to launch via this exchange, via this brand new product, that could be really big. That was the idea. Then I started telling it in like AMAs to alpha groups and they were like, holy shit, like that, that <laughs> actually is really a big deal. Like you could be the first one. That's like, that's history. That's groundbreaking. And so it turns out, you know, CZ and all the guys over at Binance, like they haven't put out this decentralized exchange yet, but they were supposed to put it out on August 10th. That's when we, we minted the presale. And eventually whenever Binance actually launches this project, we will be still the first project to launch on there. And hopefully, you know, bring a lot more eyeballs just because it's, you know, it's the biggest marketplace in the world and they've got so many other people to share this love of art and collectibles with. Yeah. yeah. Kudos. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. And so we've talked about it. It's worth talking about. There's kind of a story here and you've got this burgeoning partnership with the Nice brothers. They produced the Umbrella Academy on Netflix and, yep. you know, there's some work to produce your story. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we actually just yesterday finalized the deal of verbal finalization. Now it goes to the lawyers for paperwork and whatnot, but we, you know, we've come up with all the terms. And so the Nice brothers came on there, you know, two guys, they're rooted in sci-fi fantasy sort of worlds and they're connected with all sorts of people. I think right now they're on a Kevin Costner film in Utah, helping him with what he's doing, you know, after uh, Yellowstone and whatnot. Now he's building this crazy Western. So they're really creative guys. And we actually, you know, we formed a deal to bring them in to build out the entire world and to build out the entire ecosystem of what we're going to be building. We're not just necessarily a Web3 company. What we want to do is basically tackle all aspects of entertainment with the goal of putting Web3 in, you know, at an arm's reach of almost everybody. And basically, you know, through traditional media like animation and games, bring more people into our community and basically like raise more awareness. And the Nice brothers were specifically super excited about the product. A1, because we had dope art and also a blank slate to sort of build the story. Like we had a base story, but we didn't have everything sort of planned yet. So they can come in kind of at the beginning and work with it. But also that, you know, when we take this show to market and we go to, you know, producers, distributors like Netflix, Amazon, HBO Max, Hulu, et cetera, we will be one of the first animated projects to have a built-in community. So, you know, why does company, you know, like you were working with Marvel, why does Marvel IP work? They have a built-in product, you know, they have video games already, they have 
comic books already, et cetera, a community base. So in Web3, you know, we've built, you know, a community of, I think, 70,000 on Twitter, 50,000 on Discord. And it's going to be really cool to build one of the first community-driven stories. So our story is not only going to be written by, you know, like really big Hollywood producers, but with input from our community via them watching in the Discord. And we have a lore chat in there. So it's really going to be a community-built story, not just something that's 100% hand-delivered to you and told. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is a very first of its kind. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, things are have been moving in that direction and are moving further in the direction. Shout out to a woman named Minyan Fogarty. She's a fellow podcaster. She has this podcast called The Grammar Girl Podcast. She was doing like pop sci podcast and then moved to just this grammar podcast that really took off, right? People just want to listen yeah. to grammar tips. They're like five to 10 minute grammar tips every episode <laughs> and built a huge audience and following and sure enough, like all of a sudden, like publishers were coming to her and saying, we want you to make a book, you know? And she's like, oh, you don't and it's because there's just this huge value to already having that audience built. Imagine writing a book and you don't have any audience and you're just crossing your fingers. There's so much value to that. It's wonderful. And then you get to give back to them and help them co-create because you have that audience in advance. Really cool. Yeah. And speaking of audience, like we got to, you know, so many of our listeners, I think are learning about this, you know, for the first time. And we want to make sure that they know where to go to follow you, Jameson and Shell's Orb and all this amazing stuff that's happening and a bunch of stuff that's forthcoming. Where should they go? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think the best place to sort of find us is on Twitter. We're uh, Shell's Orb, S-H-E-L-L-Z-O-R-B. From there, you can get to the link tree, which will send you to our Discord, which is Discord or discord.gg slash the orb. And there's going to be links to Instagram and YouTube where you can find all of our like really high def 4K animations, proof of concept works for what we're building. And then I'm Jameson Hill, spelled with an I-E-S-O-N-H-I-L-L everywhere <laughs> or on Instagram, Twitter, et cetera. You can find me. Amazing. Perfect. We appreciate it. Everybody, make sure you head over there and check them out. Also, word on the street is we have a little giveaway planned for Shell's Orb. Five unrevealed Shell's Orb NFTs, Binance eggs. Those are valued around now 0.15 each, by the way, y'all. So keep an eye out on our socials for that. Very generous of you. We appreciate that. So community, get in there. Keep an eye on our socials. We'll give you all the details on that giveaway. It's going to be really great. Yeah. Jeff, Ethan, and Daniel, thank you so much for your time. It was a Great hanging out with you today and really look forward to what you guys are doing over at VV as well. Super cool. I was listening to all the stuff today. Amazing. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for being Likewise. here. Appreciate yeah. you joining, brother. Thanks, guys. Cheers. All right. Take care. Very, very cool. So, you know, yeah, just amazing project. Lots of fun. Yeah, love, love what they're doing over there. Wow. Crushing it in August 2022, right? Amazing stuff. So we want to move on to our next segment. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. It's a new one that we've added, which is a little shout out where we like to give love to folks in our orbit that's moving the needle for us, making a difference. And, you know, Dan, we wanted to turn the floor over to you to give a little shout out. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people behind the scenes in, in Vivi. You know, we do multiple drops a week, sometimes up to five or six. And every drop that we do is, you know, like coordinating some kind of showtime event, you know, all the 3D assets, which literally could be in production for three to six months. So, you know, for me, there's a lot of people who are front facing of Vivi who get a bit of attention. But, you know, I really want to give a massive shout out to all of the people behind the scenes at Vivi with all our developers who, you know, work hard every single day to improve the product, roll out new features, our marketing team behind the scenes that people don't see. 
our digital production teams, hey, even down to our in-house legal, you know, we love that guy. So yeah, just everyone behind the scenes. And then if I can, one more, which is that, you know, I always love to thank the VV community because like I said before, you know, honestly, we wouldn't be anything without those guys and just the amount of work and effort that they put in on a weekly basis just to talk about VV and spread the word. Yeah, it's something we're so grateful for. Right on, man. Yeah, it's, it, it really does take so many people. And it's the grind right behind the scenes, making it happen that really, mm. really delivers. So yeah, big shout out. Grind to is all a great, great word to use. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, cool, cool. Very cool. So again, much love to all those folks making it happen. So for folks that aren't on the VV train yet, or for folks that want to just learn more, where should we send them to follow VV yourself and all the amazing stuff that you're working on? Yeah. So I think number one, they can go to our website, vv.me.me. Also over to Twitter, a little bit embarrassing. I can't quite remember our handle off the top of our head, but I'm sure if you type in VV collectibles or VV digital collectibles, it'll come up. And then from there, you know, very similar to Jamison, you can find the link tree that will link through to all of our Discord, Instagrams, you know, our Medium channel, where we talk a lot about collectibles and the artists that we work with and the drops that we have coming up. And yeah, I think at VV underscore official. There you go. There we go. (laughs) That's the one. Thank you. Yeah. Nice. Amazing. So y'all go over there, check it out. These guys are up to some really amazing things. They have been and will continue to be. So follow them closely. Good things to come. And speaking of good things to come, we also have an amazing giveaway from VV that we wanted to share with you all. A number of different elements here for rare collectibles, for ultra rare, two secret rare, a few bundles of $200 worth of Omi. I mean, that's a package, guys. And and just the combination of of what we're doing with the giveaway we mentioned earlier in this, I mean, it's really something else. Super generous, Dan. We really appreciate it. Anything else we want to note on that other than um, to follow our socials for the details? Yep. I think it's just really simple. You know, I mean, I actually want to give the collectibles away, you know, and introduce people into the audience. So yeah follow our socials, participate in the um, Glean platform. And yeah, I really hope you enjoy them if you get them. Yeah. So follow those socials, guys. Check it out. We have all the details on there for these amazing giveaways that we have queued up from this episode today. And again, thanks so much for your generosity, Dan. We appreciate it. No worries. Thank you. Well, guys, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Also look us up on all major social platforms by typing Edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.